Hello and welcome to this week's Scottish Educators Connect podcast. You're here with me, James. And me, Anita. Wonderful, Anita. I'm glad I can hear you after our technology gremlins on what we're recording is Halloween. <laughs> it's been a it, it's been a little a little bit techy this evening, hasn't it? A little bit techy, but let's just fingers crossed that we are grand for yeah. the rest How are of you the doing? episode. I am good. It's Monday evening and um, ready and raring for another week. How about you? Yeah, I'm all right. I'm okay. It's been an intense um, few weeks at school over the past few weeks and um, call, a few colleagues and me are just coming out the other side. So I need the tonic of the podcast tonight. I've been looking forward to it all day. Good. Well, hopefully that will um, help be the tonic to your um, gin, as uh, often this podcast series definitely seems to have a, have an alcohol prevalence in it in the conversations we've been having. Well, speak for yourself. <laughs> uh, so as you know, listeners, we are doing a series at the moment around about top Scottish education. Uh, last week, you may have listened to our episodes from Tom Chalmers. If you haven't, I do recommend you go back and have a listen. Um, I really enjoyed listening back to that conversation. And I think that what we're getting from these discussions is whilst there are um, a number of sort of similar themes or threads that are going through there, just each conversation brings a different dynamic to the national discussion that's taking place at the moment. And I look forward to tonight's discussion. Tonight, we are joined by one of the transition teachers in Edinburgh City Council, and I've only just discovered a bit more around about them tonight, so um, in our pre-discussion, so look forward to hearing a bit more in the podcast. We are uh, joined for today's podcast by Dr. Jahan Alazawi, and uh, we welcome you to the podcast, Jahan. How are you? Great. I'm fine. Thank you. And thanks for having me on. No, absolutely delighted. And uh, Jan, I first uh, spotted you um, on on a tiny wee screen I was watching at the Scottish Learning Festival a couple of weeks ago. You were part of the part of the panel team there, which was looked like a really interesting debate. It was, yeah, it was great to be a part of that. Yeah, definitely. I think if folks haven't seen that one, I know you can go back and watch some of the Scottish Learning Festival um, videos on the portal and uh, we definitely recommend folks uh, having a look at that, particularly thinking around about from um, the national discussion that's taking place in terms of talk Scottish education currently. Um, we've got a couple of questions that we've been asking all of our listeners, Jahan. I'm lucky that I get to start off with the easiest question um, that hopefully won't make you think too much. You're just going to introduce yourself. So you're going to tell our listeners, who are you, uh, what do you do, and what are your interests? Okay, I'm, so I'm Jahan Alazawi. I'm a transition teacher in Edinburgh. Um, I work in a learning community that consists of four primary schools and one high school and I'm working to support and enhance the P7 to S1 transition experience um, with a particular focus on curricular transition at present. Um, my interests are obviously transition is among them. Um, I trained as a transition teacher so it's been great to now have the opportunity to work as one. Um, I was previously an academic. I have a PhD in Middle Eastern Studies and I 
as a teacher, I've really enjoyed drawing on that prior background and experience and bringing that into the classroom. So I really enjoy teaching around themes of global citizenship and sustainability and social justice. Um, and I'm also quite enthusiastic about technology and the role that it can play in enhancing teaching and learning too. Um, and particularly sort of in the aftermath of COVID that pulled us or forced us or compelled us all to use technology more. And I'm really interested in how that's continuing to play out since then. And Wonderful. In the previous podcast, Jahan, we had a conversation with um, Nushat Uthmani. And that's how you and I connected because you had commented on her podcast episode. Ah. Um, and yeah. now you're mentioning that you have an interest in global citizenship and equalities. And I'm wondering, is that your connection with Nushat? Yes, um, I initially connected with Nushat actually through SAMI, the Scottish Association for Minority and Ethnic Teachers. And we'd been on a course together. And then, yeah, I'd um, participate in a few things, that, training things that she'd facilitated around global citizenship and particularly decolonizing the curriculum, which areas I'm really interested in. So, yeah, we we overlap in our interests quite often. Lovely. James and I have that too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, James asked you um, the easiest question of the podcast, um, and I think I'm arguably going to ask you the biggest, most difficult question of the podcast, Johan, <laughs> and it's the first question of um, the Scottish Government's National Discussion Survey. Um, and we had a crack at answering this, James and I ourselves, in a previous episode, but also um, the team I work with um, and I, had a crack at this question on the inset day last week and oh my gosh we had planned an hour for it and we needed double that time um, <laughs> so such a big question isn't it I know. if you can summarize if you can't don't worry I, I talk a lot too but if you can summarize what kind of education will be needed by children and young people in Scotland in the future sure yeah I mean I think it naturally steers us towards kind of casting a critical eye over the curriculum and I know in this the discussion I've been hearing on your you know on earlier podcasts and in general around the national discussion is this question over whether we should privilege a more traditional knowledge-based curriculum over a skills-based curriculum and there's been a lot of talk about perhaps at the moment in Scotland we're too skills-based um, and this is leading perhaps to problems of inequity or inconsistent curricular experiences for our young people or they're not being enough knowledge in there. But I think we knew there's always about balance and I don't feel that we want to go too heavily one way or the other. And I think one of the best things about Curriculum for Excellence when it came out was the autonomy that it provided for curriculum making and recognising that this should be something that's developed locally to sort to suit the needs and desires and experiences of, of our young people in their particular learning communities. So it's about an education that has relevance to our young people. And that means that it will look different in different settings. But that, I think, is was a, um, designed as a strength, I think, with um, Curriculum for Excellence. But I think what's perhaps not come with that is 
what didn't come with the freedom for curriculum making was the time to do it um Mm. and for teachers and the wider school community to really get the opportunity to come together and plan for that depth breadth and progression um, and to collaborate with other professionals and their learning communities in the process I feel that that's what's missing you know rather than us looking for a, a more prescribed curriculum and for the you know, we sort of got that in the E's and O's in a way as a response to that, and perhaps a bit of a panic when we we suddenly didn't have it all laid out for us. And the E's and O's ended up being um, quite vague. They're difficult to assess. And I thought really contradicted the spirit of curriculum for excellence and sort of led us towards that checklist approach. Um So in answer to the question, I think the kind of education our children, young people need is one that's tailored and responsive and relevant to their experiences, their local context, their aspirations, but one that's most importantly really well designed um, and that serves the lived experiences of that community. Um, And that means it will look different, the curriculum will look different across Scotland, but that should be something to be celebrated as long as it's well designed by and with the people that it serves and with my transition hat on um, when I look across the BGE from primary to secondary we have a really different our pupils experience the curriculum in the BGE very differently across those two settings but if we could actually come together as a learning community and plan the curriculum from early years up and through to, you know, the, um, the end of the BGE and have primary and secondary practitioners involved in the de- design process, um, I think we'd that would help to develop consistency just by way of having greater involvement of our teachers in the planning and development of the curriculum. I think it's um, interesting because time has come up I think with everybody um, that I've spoken with in terms of teaching time and planning time, and I think your perspective is different to many of the people I've spoken to, Jahan, because you're asking for time, not for planning lessons or resourcing lessons, but for designing the curriculum. And you're right, the design of the curriculum, teachers as curriculum designers other than these pockets of excellent schools with excellent curricula, it is a little bit of a lost characteristic of the teaching profession in Scotland just now and something that I know the OECD has recommended that we revive and we look at. And I think time to do it's important. But I also think, um, and I touched on it a little bit in my episode with James, it also takes expertise and... professional learning and um, teacher efficacy and confidence in being able to design the curriculum for their learners. Yeah, I agree. And I think teachers are really heavily engaged in planning activities and resourcing those. And we're, we're so short for time that we don't get to really think deeply about what the learning outcomes are and to think about progression and building that in there just isn't the time 
there for us at the moment to get into proper curriculum design. And you're absolutely right that it needs to be supported by curriculum experts. Um, but again, I thought, you know, in a way that we have at the moment, the, um, the, the QIOs, the quality improvement offices, and they support things like when schools do moderation events, for example, you'll get, you can get support from um, professionals that can help to engage with that. And I feel that, you know, perhaps the improvement collaboratives, that could be an area where when schools are engaging in this process, they get input and people that can help to get the thinking rolling and to pose useful questions around curricular design and yes also we'd have to engage in the professional development to develop the you know the skills and know-how around Mm. curriculum making but I think teachers absolutely have and would want to be a part of the design process because they're the ones that are going to be teaching it in the end and you never want to be in a situation where you're just handing over this curriculum Mm. and telling teachers Mm. to teach it because they're not going to be motivated or you know um, you're not going to have them on board unless they're yeah. part of the process, and I think they're essential to the process. There's yeah. something you talked around about there in terms of the of the relevance and around about yeah that bit <coughs> of investment that the profession has in <coughs> terms right. of that you know curriculum making and curriculum design. Um, yeah. I was reading the No Tosh report that came out last week around about the four capacities. Um, and, you know, the big question at the moment is around about thinking about the four capacities. Are they fit for purpose in where we are right now in 2022? In their research, they talk around about, you know, the number of young people that, that haven't heard of them. I'm interested in your perspective. It's it's not a, it's not it's not one of our scripted questions tonight, but I'm thinking from the from what you've just talked around about just now in terms of relevance, Jahan, in terms of that um, you know, the autonomy of practitioners in terms of making that fit for purpose for their learning community, but also mm-hmm. with your global citizenship head on, um, around about, you know, that way of, you know, developing capacities in young people. Um and thinking about that from the three to eighteen perspective with transitions is you know is that a helpful concept do you think or is there um you know does that does that help provide that progression and coherence in in key concepts or or not and it's it's something I'm grappling with and and interested in your thoughts yeah and I read that report too I was interested um and i'm I'm a big fan of the four capacities and I think it was interesting mm-hmm. there's a, a thing that education Scotland released today which was a collation of educators views on the four capacities that were also really positive um and it was uh, they they seem to be reiterating that no one's talking about throwing out the four capacities um but I think what that report has shone a light on is how they use i think there's it found that the in primary schools the four capacities are referred to much more frequently than they are in high schools which is interesting um and i think they are a great vehicle for developing curriculum and i think they speak to future capacities that our young people need um not just for work but for 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 living and pursuing a successful life too, um, and I think there's a lot of potential there, and should absolutely be part of 
our curriculum design process and can inform that. Um, I think there's that the, the successful learners one, I think particularly in the high school context, tends to get interpreted as an ability to pass exams in order to obtain yeah. qualifications. But I feel that's quite a narrow interpretation. It's it's about a, long, a lot more than that. For me, it's about developing a, a disposition towards lifelong learning. Um, mm. And so it speaks to the importance of schools as instilling a passion and enthusiasm for learning that pupils take beyond the school so that throughout their lives they continue to want to learn. And I think that's a really important capacity because, you know, we we can't really predict what exactly what our pupils will need to know for the future, a future that we're not, you know, present in yet. But if they've got a capacity and a willingness and the skills to learn and engage in lifelong learning, then I think that's really equipping our young people to be successful. Um, so... I think there's a lot more potential um, to engage with the four capacities and have that lead our thinking around developing a responsive curriculum that is about equipping our young people with more than just qualifications and an ability to pass exams, but skills for for life. Mm-hmm. That's really that's really helpful. Thank you. Just. Uh, hey. But I thought I'd strike the opportunity, particularly with your your hat around about having that opportunity timely through secondary, because um, you know that's some of the conversations that we've had, uh, and and both in in the episode with Anita and I, um, and some of the yeah. other episodes as well. It's just that you know the changes across the the different aspects of the sector. Um, yeah. Last week, Anita was very kind to Tom, and she gave him she. We, we started off with uh, what's the biggest change that you consider, but we said changes. We're allowing we're allowing two. I think is that is that the is that the consensus now? So will we allow will we allow two if we can't narrow it down to one? Go on then. Okay. <laughs> so, um, what is the you know what's the big change? Um, and if you really can't narrow it down, what are the biggest two changes that you would consider then in terms of improving education in Scotland, taking into consideration your um, thoughts around about uh, question two that Anita had asked? Yeah, I mean, the first one, this is a bit as an aside, but I, I feel it's so important to mention. Um, so I'm going to start with that. And it may not be seen as a big um change in terms of the things we've just been discussing but I think it's something that's really urgent and that's the creeping casualization of the teaching workforce. Um, We know there's a lot of evidence I think we all agree that teachers are a school's greatest asset and yet they're increasingly being deployed on temporary or zero hours contracts um, and I think today in Scotland, being a supply teacher is increasingly becoming the default position rather than a choice. And this isn't a sustainable way to arrange our education system for many reasons. It disrupts the development and growth of teacher-pupil relations when you've got teachers in and out of schools very frequently. I think it disrupts school improvement agendas and the, the ability to drive through strategic change when teachers might start work on an area an area but have to leave before they've really achieved anything or you know managed to develop that aspect. Um, but most important of all, it's disruptive to teacher well-being. 
teachers worried about paying their bills, particularly as we enter a cost of living crisis. It makes for really poor teacher well-being. Um, And I think we really have to acknowledge the link that that has and in terms of the impact on all aspects of our education system. Um, So I would really urge those that are involved in this review um, because it's a well-known issue and I know it comes around in cycles, but that speaks to the fact that it's not really been properly tackled. Um, And this also comes down to investment in education Um, investment in our teachers as the greatest asset we have Um, but if this is a really basic thing that we're not getting right at the moment and it also speaks to a wider issue about investment financial investment in our education systems that in order for everybody to be able to do their job effectively and have the resources um, to do so so I would I think it's a really significant area that needs addressing um for all the reasons i've said mm-hmm. um so that's the first one but the second big change i'd like to see obviously with my transition remit is a transformation in how our young people experience the primary secondary transition and um i would really like to see Um, so much more collaboration between primary and secondary colleagues. Um, I think there's a lot of perception from both sides about what we do in each other's settings um, and not a lot of opportunity to step away from, you know, for high school teachers to get to step into primary schools and see how things are done and vice versa to get primary teachers into the high schools and to develop that shared understanding of um, how we work in our different settings, both in curricular terms and also pedagogically. I think how we do things in primary and secondary schools pedagogically is very differs. Um, And again, I think that's what leads to our pupils' experience of the BGE phase as being so different. Uh, particularly where pedagogy is concerned. So I think I would really like us to establish, and hopefully through this new role of transition teachers, where it's unique in that we are working across both sectors. So we're Mm -hmm. stepping into those environments, and it's really interesting because we get a sort of bird's-eye view of what's happening across the learning community, which is a great asset for picking out areas where we can see things are working well and extending that practice into the community but also for facilitating for example something I've been working on recently is um, arranging for the primary seven teachers to visit the high schools for post-transition because post-transition something that I don't think we're doing um particularly well we we do quite well on the build up to transition and then it yeah. almost all falls away once our pupils have transitioned so yeah i'd i'd like to see a lot more collaboration across the sectors i think that will really transform and improve and bridge the gap that currently exists in young people's experience of the bge i love this um this practice of yours around post-transition um I find working with the transition teacher in the cluster that um 
I currently work in Jahan, we had an excellent experience of a secondary trained teacher who was flexible and adaptable and brought so much knowledge and skill, both in terms of the different kinds of pedagogy that, that goes on in secondary schools, but also in terms of the way in which secondary teachers support children pastorally. I learned so much from him and it was so lovely to collaborate and connect with him at the end of last term and at the beginning of this one as we plan for our current sevens to go on. And one of the nice things about the role is that he obviously is still regularly at the secondary school. So he's in touch with our kids from last year and he's kind of like um, a human WhatsApp messenger. You know, he's transferring messages from the kids back to us and from us to the kids. And and thinking about one um, pupil in particular that we supported at the end of last session who I care very, very deeply for. And it's been lovely to have him to share messages and check in and, and, you know, be the go-between. But actually, I like this idea of extending that to actually enabling us and our teachers and our schools to go there and be with them um, yeah. rather than, than that, you know, just being through you guys in, in the transition role, but actually giving us the opportunity to check in and let them know that, yeah, I haven't seen you in five months, but believe me, I still think about you every single day. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, primary teachers do get to know the pupils so well and may even often teach them more than once in the time that they're there. So it is quite an abrupt break, you know, for that. that and given how, in well, it's not always the case, but at least where I'm working, the, the schools are all quite close to each other. So there's really no distance between us apart from that which we create. And from the visits that we've we've arranged so far, the pupils have really valued them. So we've had primary seven teachers in with first year classes um, observing lessons, but we've also arranged informal catch ups at break time so that the pupils can come and drop in. And what's also been really interesting that. is it it hasn't just been the first years that have popped in, yeah. but seniors. You know, we've we've linked up seniors who were taught by these teachers at some point and just would love the chance to reconnect and tell them what they're doing or what they're planning yeah. on doing next after school and you know it's about main we, we we know that school is all about those relationships and we we have such an abrupt cut off once they've transitioned and there's no reason why um, we shouldn't maintain those relationships and the conversations that even happen you know, high school teachers will take longer to get to know the pupils, obviously, because they they work they work with so many more pupils throughout the day. Um, but the dialogue that can happen with the primary teacher there, who knows the pupils well, says, "Oh," and can advise about differentiation and meeting learner needs. Um, it's rather than that information as it is at the present, it's passed to the support for learning team, and it gets cascaded down. There's nothing that beats that face-to-face dialogue in yeah. the moment in the classroom too yeah. where you've got the pupils in front of you. Um, and both the teachers and the pupils absolutely appreciate the, those opportunities to reconnect um, and to maintain that relationship through what is a difficult transition of adjusting to um, school, you know, high school. Jahan, you've come to us with... Um... 
perspectives that I don't think we hear very often. And it's refreshing yeah. to have the opportunity to talk and think a bit more in depth around about the transition from primary school into secondary school, but also that really big issue about teacher recruitment and yeah. the, the utterly, utterly, in my opinion, inexcusable numbers of teachers we have on zero-hour contracts and on supply. And um, I am really glad that you you did bring that up. Um, these mini series or these mini podcasts always, um, I feel, leave me wanting more and wanting more time to talk to more. <laughs> now, I'm lucky, Duhan, because you and I work in the same authority, so I can manoeuvre and manipulate so that you and I can maybe <laughs> get together and share some more ideas. Yeah, that would be great. And that's one of the great things about this new role too. We the, There is a network of transition teachers too, and it is about sharing practice and developing this role. It's, it's a great opportunity, um, definitely. It sounds like I'm really looking forward to seeing and, and hearing how the role develops and um, because transition has been a key conversation that we've been having in terms of um, this national discussion through through the podcast in in one form or another. So, yeah, thank yeah. you so much, Jahan, for coming and and talking through that. And um, you've definitely expanded my thinking around about that element. But as Anita says as well, that conversation around about teacher workforce retention and and valuing the workforce is is really critical. Yeah, um, thanks very much for the chance to come on. It's been a really interesting conversation. For our listeners, our um, conversation always continues on Twitter and um, we'd love you to leave your comments on um, some of Jahan's thinking around Talk Scottish Education. Um, so definitely leave a comment and James and I will be back again in the next episode interviewing another Scottish education professional um, to hear some more perspectives but I don't know about you James I'm loving the variety of what we've had so far. Yeah I couldn't agree more I think that just the, the variety of voices is and it shows how important it is to listen and value every single voice that we've got in the system because there are so many golden nuggets that need to be pulled together. Um, and uh, as I said at the beginning of our episodes, you know, I, I um, uh, don't envy Carol and uh, Alma having to having to pull this together. Someone's got to do it. <laughs> Jihan, thank you. James, I've needed this tonight. Thank you. I appreciate well, you. <laughs> I'm glad that it has been the tonic to your much needed gin. Bye. Thanks very Bye. much. Bye-bye.